Hello, my darling, and welcome to today's story time. Today we are reading Chapter 4 of Legends of King Arthur and His Knights. And now, on with our story time. Chapter 4 King Arthur Conquers Ireland and Norway, Slays the Giant of St. Michael's Mount, and Conquers Gaul. The Adventures of Sir Balin The land of Britain now being in peace, and many great and valiant knights therein ready to take part in whatsoever battles or adventures might arise. King Arthur resolved to follow all his enemies to their own coasts. Anon, he fitted out a great fleet, and sailing first to Ireland in one battle, he miserably routed the people of the country. The king of Ireland also he took prisoner, and forced all earls and barons to pay him homage. Having conquered Ireland, he went next to Iceland and subdued it also, and the winter being then arrived, returned to Britain. In the next year he set forth to Norway, whence many times the heathen had descended on the British coasts, for he was determined to give so terrible a lesson to those savages as should be told through all their tribes, both far and near, and make his name fearful to them. As soon as he was come, Rykolf, the king, with all the power of that country, met and gave him battle. But after mighty slaughter, Brightons had great length and advantage, and slew Rykolf, and a countless multitude besides. Having thus defeated them, they set the cities on fire, dispersed the country people, and pursued the victory until they had reduced all of Norway, and also Dacia, under the dominion of King Arthur. Now, therefore, Having thus chastised those pagans, who so long had harassed Britain, and put his yoke upon them, he voyaged on to Gaul, being steadfastly set upon defeating the Roman governor of that province, and so beginning to make good the threats which he had sent the emperor by his ambassadors. So soon as he was landed on the shores of Gaul, there came to him a countryman, who told him of a fearful giant in the land of Brittany, who had slain, murdered, and devoured many people, and had lived for seven years upon young children only. Insomuch, said the man, that all the children of the country are destroyed. And but the other day he seized upon our duchess, as she rode out with her men, and took her away to his lodging in a cave of a mountain and though five hundred people followed her, yet could they give her no help or rescue, but left her shrieking and crying in the giant's hands. And, Lord, she is thy cousin Hole's wife, who is of thy near kindred, wherefore, as thou art a rightful king, have pity on this lady, and as thou art a valiant conqueror, Avenge us, and deliver us. Alas, said King Arthur, 
This is a great mischief that ye tell of. I had rather than the best realm I have, that I had rescued that lady, ere the giant laid his hands on her. But tell me now, good fellow, canst thou bring me where this giant haunteth? Yes, lord, replied the man. Lo, yonder, where thou seest two great fires, there shall thou find him, and more treasure also, than is in all Gaul besides. Then the king returned to his tent, and calling Sir Guy and Sir Bedwin, desired them to get horses ready for himself and for them, for that after even song, he would ride a pilgrimage with them alone to St. Michael's Mount. So in the evening they departed, and rode as fast as they could, until they came near the mount, and there alighted. And the king commanded the two knights to await him at the foothill, while he went up alone. Then he ascended the mountain, until he came to a great fire, and there he found a sorrowful widow, wringing her hands, and weeping miserably, sitting by a newly made grave. After saluting her, King Arthur prayed her, wherefore she had made such heavy lamentations. Sir Knight, she said, speak softly, for yonder is a devil, who if he hear thy voice, he will come and straightway slay thee. Alas, what dost thou hear? Fifty such men as thou were powerless to resist him. Here lieth dead my lady, Duchess of Brittany, wife to Sir Hole, who was the fairest lady in the world, foully and shamefully slaughtered by that fiend. Beware that thou go not too nigh, for he hath overcome and vanquished fifteen kings, and hath made himself a coat of precious stones, embroidered with their beards. But if thou art handy, and will speak with him, at yonder great fire he is at supper. Well, said King Arthur, I will accomplish mine errand for all thy fearful words. And so he went forth to the crest of the hill, and saw where the giant sat at supper, gnawing on the limb of a man, and baking his huge frame by the fire. All the while, three damsels turned three spits, whereon were spitted, like larks, twelve young children, lately born. When King Arthur saw all that, his heart bled for sorrow, and he trembled for rage and indignation. Then lifting up his voice, he cried aloud, God, that wieldeth all the world, give thee short life and shameful death. And may the devil have thy soul. Why hast thou slain those children, and that fair lady? Wherefore arise, and prepare thee to perish, thou glutton and fiend, for this day shall die by my hands. Then the giant, mad with fury at those words, started up, and seizing a great club, smote the king struck his crown off from his head, 
that King Arthur smote him with the sword so mightily in return that all his blood gushed forth in streams. At that, the giant, howling in great anguish, threw away his club of iron and caught the king in both his arms and strove to crush his ribs together. But King Arthur struggled and writhed and twisted him about so that the giant could not hold him tightly. And as they both fiercely wrestled, they fell, and rolling over one another, tumbled wrestling and struggling and fighting frantically from rock to rock until they came to the sea. And as they tore and strove and tumbled, the king ever and anon smote at the giant with his dagger until his arms stiffened in death around King Arthur's body, and groaning horribly, he died. So presently the two knights came and found the king locked fast in the giant's arms, and very faint and weary, and loosed him from their hold. Then the king bade Sir Key to smite off the giant's head and set it on the truncheon of a spear and bear it to Sir Hole and tell him that his enemy is slain. And afterwards, let it be fastened to the castle gate, that all the people may behold it. And go ye too up the mountain, and fetch me my shield and sword, and also the great club of iron, ye will see me there. And as for the treasure, ye shall find their wealth beyond counting. But take as much as ye will, for if I have this kirtle and the club, I desire no more. Then the knights fetched club and kirtle, as the king had ordered, and took the treasure to themselves, as much as they could carry, and returned to the army. But when this deed was noised abroad, all the people came in multitudes to thank the king, who told them, Give thanks to God and to divide the giant's spoils amongst them equally. And King Arthur desired Sir Hole to build a church upon the mount, and then to dedicate it to the archangel Michael. On the morrow, all the host moved onwards into the country of Champagne, and Flolo, the Roman tribune, retired before them into Paris. But while he was preparing to collect more forces from the neighboring countries, King Arthur came upon him unawares and besieged him in the town. And when a month had passed, Flolo, full of grief at the starvation of his people, who died in hundreds day by day, sent to King Arthur and desired that they too might fight together, for he was a man of mighty stature and courage and thought himself sure of the victory. This challenge, King Arthur, full weary with the siege, accepted with great joy, and sent back word to Flolo that he would meet him whensoever he appointed. And a truce being made on both sides, they met together the next day on the island without the city, where all the people were also gathered to see the issue. And as the king and Flolo rode up the lists, each was so nobly armed and horsed 
and sat so mightily upon his saddle that no man could tell which way the battle would end. When they had saluted one another and presented themselves against each other with their lances aloft, they put their spurs to their horses and began a fierce encounter. But King Arthur, carrying his spear more warily, struck it on the upper part of Flolo's breast and flung him from his saddle to the earth. Then, drawing his sword, he cried him to rise and rushed upon him. But Flolo, starting up, met him with his spear crouched and pierced the breast of King Arthur's horse and overthrew both horse and man. The Brightons, when they saw their king upon the ground, could scarcely keep themselves from breaking up the truce and falling upon the Gauls. But as they were about to burst the barriers and rush upon the lists, King Arthur hastily arose, and guarding himself with his shield, ran with speed on Flolo. And now they renewed the assault with great rage, being sorely bent upon each other's death. At length, Flolo, seizing his advantage, gave King Arthur a huge stroke upon the helm, which nigh overthrew him, and drew forth his blood in streams. But when King Arthur saw his armor and shield red with blood, he was inflamed with fury, and lifting up Excalibur on high with all his might, he struck straight to the helmet into Flolo's head, and smote it into halves, and Flolo falling backwards, and tearing upon the ground with his spurs, expired. As soon as this news spread, the citizens all ran together, and, opening the gates, surrendered the city to the conqueror, and when he had overrun the whole province with his arms, and reduced it everywhere to subjection, he returned again to Britain, and held his court at Caerleon, with greater state than ever. Anon, he invited thereto all the kings, dukes, earls, and barons who owed him homage, that they might treat him royally, and reconcile them to each other and to his rule. But never was there a city more fit and pleasant for such festivals, for on one side of it was washed by a noble river so that the kings and princes from the countries beyond sea might conveniently sail up to it. And on the other side, the beauty of the groves and meadows, and the stateliness and magnificence of the royal palaces, with lofty gilded roofs, made it even rival the grandeur of Rome. It was famous also for two great and noble churches, whereof one was built in honor of the martyr Julius, and adorned with a choir of virgins, who devoted themselves wholly to the service of God, and the other, founded in memory of St. Aaron, his companion, maintained a convent of canons, and was the third metropolitan church of Britain. Besides, there was a college of two hundred philosophers, learned in astronomy, and all the other sciences and arts. In this place, therefore, 
full of such delights. King Arthur held his court, with many jousts and tournaments, and royal huntings, and rested for a season after all of his wars. And on a certain day, there came into the court a messenger from Rance, king of North Wales, bearing this message from his master, that King Rance had discomfited eleven kings, and had compelled each one of them to cut off his beard, that he had trimmed a mantle with these beards, and lacked but one more beard to finish it, and that he therefore now sent for King Arthur's beard, which he required of him forthwith, or else he would enter his lands, and burn and slay, and never leave them, until he had taken them by force, not only his beard, but his head also. When King Arthur heard these words, he flushed scarlet, and rising in great anger said, Well, is it for thee that thou speakest another man's words with thy lips, and not thine own? Thou hast said thy message, which is the most insolent and villainous that ever man heard sent to any king. Now hear my reply. My beard is yet too young to trim that mantle of thy master's with. Yet, young although I be, I owe no homage either to him or any man, nor will ever owe. But young although I be, I will have thy master's homage upon both his knees before this year be passed, or else he shall lose his head by the faith of my body. For this message is the shamefulest I have ever heard speak of. I see well thy king hath yet never met a worshipful man. But tell that King Arthur will have his head, or his worship, right soon. Then the messenger departed, and Arthur, looking round upon his knights, demanded of them if there any one knew this King Rance. Yea, answered Sir Norin, I know him well and there be few better or stronger knights upon a field than he. And he is passing proud and haughty in his heart. Wherefore, I doubt not, Lord, he will make war on thee with mighty power. Well, said King Arthur, I shall be ready for him, and that shall he find. While the king thus spoke, there came into the hall a damsel, having on a mantle richly furred, which she let fall, which showed herself to be girded with a noble sword. The king, being surprised at this, said, Damsel, wherefore art thou girt with that sword? For it beseemeth thee not. Sir, said she, I will tell thee. This sword, wherewith I am thus girt, gives me great sorrow and encumbrance. For I may not be delivered from it until I find a knight faithful and pure and true, strong of body and of valiant deeds, without guile or treachery, who shall be able to draw it from his scabbard, which no man else can do. And I have but just now come from the court of King Rance 
for there they told me many great and good knights were to ever be found. But he and all his knights have tried to draw it forth in vain, for none of them can move it. This is a great marvel, said King Arthur. I will myself try to draw forth this sword, not thinking in my heart that I am the best knight, but rather to begin and give example that all may try after me. Saying this, he took the sword and pulled at it with all his might, but could not shake or move it. Thou needest not strive so hard, Lord, said the damsel, for whoever may be able to pull it forth shall do so very easily. Thou sayest well, replied the king, remembering how he had himself drawn forth the sword from the stone before St. Paul's. Now try ye, all my barons, but beware, ye not be stained with shame, or any treachery, or guile. And turning away his face from them, King Arthur mused full heavily of sins within his breast he knew of, and which his failure brought to mind right sadly. Then all the barons present tried each after the other, but could none of them succeed, whereat the damsel gently wept and said, Alas, alas, I thought in this court to have found the best knight, without shame or treachery or treason. Now by chance, there was at that time a poor knight with King Arthur, who had been prisoner at this court for half a year and more charged with slaying, unawares, a knight who was the cousin of the king's. He was named Balin Le Savage, and had been by the good offices of the barons delivered from prison, for he was of good and valiant address and gentle blood. He being secretly present at the court, saw this adventure, and felt his heart rise high within him, and longed to try the sword as did the others but being poor, and poorly clad. He was ashamed to come forward in the press of knights and nobles, but in his heart he felt assured that he could do better, if heaven willed, than any knight among them all. So, as the damsel left the king, he called to her and said, Damsel, I pray thee of thy courtesy, suffer me to try the sword as well as all these lords. For though I be but poorly clad, I feel assurance in my heart. The damsel, looking at him, saw in him a likely honest man, but because of his poor garments, could not think him to be any knight of worship. So she said, Sir, there is no need to put me to any more pain or labor. Why shouldst thou succeed? for so many worthy ones have failed. Ah, fair lady, answered Balin, worthiness and brave deeds are not shown by fair raiment, but manhood and truth lie hid within the heart. There be many worshipful knights unknown to all the people. By my faith, replied the damsel, thou sayest truth. Try therefore, if thou wilt what thou canst do. So Balin took the sword by the girdle and hilt, and drew it lightly out. 
and looking on its workmanship and brightness, it pleased him greatly. But the kings and all the barons marveled at Sir Balin's fortune, and many knights were envious of him. For truly, said the damsel, this is a passing good knight, and the best man I have ever found, and the most worshipfully free from treason, treachery, or villainy, and many wonders shall he achieve. Now, gentle and courteous knight, continued she, turning to Balin, give me this sword again. Nay, said Sir Balin, save it be taken from me by force. I shall preserve this sword for evermore. Thou art not wise, replied the damsel, to keep it from me. For if thou wilt do so, thou shalt slay it with the best friend thou hast, and the sword shall be thine destruction also. I will take whatever adventure God may send, said Balin, but the sword will I keep by the faith of my body. Thou wilt repent this shortly, said the damsel. I would take the sword for thy sake rather than for mine, for I am passing grieved and heavy for thy sake. Thou wilt not believe the peril I foretell thee. With that she departed, making great lamentation. Then Balin sent for his horse and armor, and took his leave of King Arthur, who urged him to stay at his court. For, said he, I believe that thou art displeased that I showed thee unkindness. Blame me not overmuch, for I was misinformed against thee, and knew not truly what a knight of worship thou art. Abide in this court with my good knights, and I will so advance thee that thou shalt be well pleased. God thank thee, Lord, said Balin, for no man can reward thy bounty and thy nobleness. But at this time I must needs depart, praying thee ever to hold me in thy favor. Truly, said King Arthur, I am grieved for thy departure, but tarry not long, and thou shalt be right welcome to me and all my knights when thou returnest. And I will repair my neglect, and all that I have done amiss against thee. God thank thee, Lord, again, said Balin and made ready to depart. But meanwhile came into the court a lady upon horseback, full richly dressed, and saluted King Arthur, and asked him for the gift that he had promised her when she gave him his sword Excalibur. For, said she, I am the Lady of the Lake. Ask what thou wilt, said the king, and thou shalt have it, if I have power to give. I ask, said she, the head of that knight who hath just achieved the sword, or else the damsel's head who brought it, or else both, for the knight slew my brother, and the lady caused my father's death. Truly, said King Arthur, I cannot grant thee this desire. It were against my nature and against my name. But ask whatever else thou wilt, and I will do it. I will demand no other thing, said she. And as she spake came Balin, on his way to leave the court, and saw her where she stood, and knew her straightway 
for his mother's murderess, whom he had sought in vain for three years. And when they told him that she had just asked King Arthur for his head, he went up straight to her and said, May evil have thee, thou desirest my head, therefore shalt thou lose thine. And with his sword he lightly smote off her head in the presence of the king and all the court. Alas, for shame, cried out King Arthur, rising up in wrath. Why hast thou done this, shaming both me and my court? I am greatly beholden to this lady, and under my safe conduct came she here. Thy deed is passing shameful. Never shall I forgive this villainy. Lord, cried Sir Balin, hear me. This lady was the falsest living, and by her witchcraft hath destroyed many, and caused my mother also to be burnt to death by her false arts and treachery. What cause soever thou mightest have had, said the king, thou shouldst have forborne her in my presence. Deceive not thyself, thou shalt repent this sin, for such a shame was never brought upon my court. Depart now from my face, with all the haste thou mayest. Then Balin took up the head of the lady, and carried it to his lodgings, and rode forth with his squire from out of the town. Then said he, Now must we part, take ye this head, and bear it to my friends in Northumberland, and tell them how I speed, but our worst foe is dead. Also tell them that I am free from prison, and of the adventure of my sword. Alas, said the squire, ye are greatly to blame to have so displeased King Arthur. As for that, said Sir Balin, I go now to find King Rance, and destroy him, or lose my life. For should I take him prisoner, and lead him to the court, perchance King Arthur would forgive me, and become my good and gracious lord. Where shall I meet thee again? said the squire. In King Arthur's court, said Balin. And this, my darling, ends our story time for today. As always, I hope that you have very sweet and creepy dreams. Good night.